Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to a draft edition of the Baseball America podcast. We've got a trio here today. J.J. Cooper, John Manuel, Teddy Cahill. We're going to talk draft, and we're going to do this uh, a rather in-depth draft podcast. Before we get to that, though, I do want to remind you it is a great time to subscribe to Baseball America. Right now, if you subscribe, we're going to be rolling out the BA 500 next week. We've got 200 up now. We're going to roll out the 500. We're going to go beyond that. You'll have scouting reports in the top 500 and beyond for the uh, 2015 draft. At the same time, we're also going to have July 2 coverage. You're going to have scouting reports on pretty much every notable name that you need to know for the international signing period. And obviously, it's also coming up. We're not that far away from the midseason prospect update, as crazy as that is. Crazy. Which frightens me in some ways. Yes. And obviously, we're also, as we sit here recording this podcast, we're also watching uh, the uh, NCAA regionals, where there's a lot going on there. It's going to be a fun weekend of that. we got people all over the country covering that. So it's a great time to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com. Just go to BaseballAmerica.com slash store, or I believe also BaseballAmerica.com slash subscribe. Either way, gets you to where you need to go. But we're going to talk draft today. A very crazy draft. And to jump in, before we're going to look at the demographics, we're going to look at where's the strengths, where are the weaknesses. We may stay on the weaknesses a little while too long on this because this, that's this draft. But John... You have had a comparison that, that jumps out to you. What is this draft? This is, it sounds, it feels like recent history to me. <laughs> it's not recent history nowadays, I have to admit that, but I'm just old. But what does this draft remind you of? And I just actually ran this by a couple of directors the last two days, and they, they agree, guys who've studied this a little bit and have been around it for a while. This draft is the most like the year 2000 draft, and that's not a good draft. Now, that was an Adrian Gonzalez draft. That was a Chase Utley draft. Adrian Gonzalez is the first pick in that draft. If Which turned out pretty well, although it looked bad at the time for the next, like, two years. Yeah, I mean, it was he got off to a struggling start. But, um, you know, you go through the first round of that draft, there were only five 10-war players in that draft. It was Utley and Adrian Gonzalez. Then at the back of the first round, Adam Wainwright, whose um, you know, bonus was almost voided uh, due to an arm uh, irregularity when he was uh, drafted by the Braves. And then Kelly Johnson and Rocco Baldelli. Yeah, the rest of that draft's first round was pretty iffy, and a lot of guys didn't make the first, uh, didn't make it out. But the reason it's like the 2000 draft is a, uh, it's a bad year for college pitching, and that year the top college pitchers drafted were guys like Aaron Heilman, who went up a reliever, Billy Traber, Ben Diggins, who's presently scouting, Adam Johnson, number two overall pick in that draft, Chris Buchek, who. Uh, it's a fun Twitter follow, and uh, and in my name, in my uh, world, I've always called him Chris Buchek Buchek because at the same time that he was coming out, Ruben Boomche Boomche was at a St- uh, Georgetown. So one of my all-time favorite inside baseball America jokes, Chris Buchek Buchek. Um, but it was just a bad draft for college pitching, and a signability dominated draft. So those three things really, uh, the fact that there's the, the 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 college pitching was so poor, signability drove a lot of guys down. And then the talent was kind of flat. Those are very parallel to 2015. And obviously, didn't have a slotting system that year, so it's a little bit different. But I feel like this is a draft with very few future big league stars. But there are going to be big leaguers drafted. There are in every draft, Teddy. And, you know, this draft, uh, I, just, I, I, I think of those major four demographics, college pitchers, college hitters, high school bats, high school arms, I feel like college bats is probably the one that's closest to average, if not a tick above. But that's only from a a depth pers- a depth perspective, as opposed to a top of the draft perspective. I mean, I don't know if you agree. To me, those all four of these are kind of light, and that's why there's so much volatility, especially in the arms. Well, I think the the uh, the college position players stand out because of the shortstops and yeah. how good they are, and you know, beyond them, I don't know. I don't know how good it is. You know, you look at the college catching situation, for instance, and it's, you know, there are two guys in in the top 100, uh, Austin Rye, and is being the top one, and and he's not even a top 50 guy. So, 
you know, I, I think it, you know, it, it looks good for the position players, but that's also always the one that you hear the most complaints about. Right. So maybe, maybe this year it is a little closer to average, and you don't hear the complaints about that because uh, you hear complaints about every other demographic, especially <laughs> high school pitching, I think. That's really it. I mean, that, that's the surprise, and, and that's a great point. That's like a good jumping off point because high school pitching, guys, is just so volatile, and we are three-quarters of the country. Hudson Belinsky covers more of the Carolinas in the Northeast, so he's been digging in, especially on a guy like Mike Nickerack in the Northeast. JJ, you've got the two Indiana kids, mm-hmm. Nolan Watson and Ash Russell, two guys you've had to bear down on. I've got all these SoCal pitchers, whether it's Kyle Molnar or Peter Lambert or Tristan Beck or whoever, and then this plethora of interesting guys in Florida, and uh, you know, whether it's Tristan McKenzie, Juan Hillman, uh, what have you, a lot of uh, Austin Smith, a lot of interesting Florida arms. I mean, I think if you ask 10 teams, guys, you get 10 different names or at least five different names who are the top high school arm in this draft. I think what this one, for one, it doesn't match. Last year we had such a historic high school pitching class. Especially in terms of the velo, no doubt. I mean, it was one of those where, you and teams said it last year, teams normally like to downplay how good a draft is. Last year they said, look, you can get a guy supplemental first round high school arm who you could be thrilled to have yeah. because this guy could easily end up, you look back on it and go, wow, how do you get that guy that late? But that happens with high school arms. You look back a couple of years ago at, hadn't worked out as well as we hoped, but the Bundy-Bradley draft. 2011. Yeah. And there were, in 2011, there were arms that fell, you know, Jose Fernandez, and you look at it a couple exactly. of years later, and like, how did he last that long? Well, that happens when you have that kind of depth. I do think that this high school pitching class, if you're looking at strengths of this class, I don't think it's as weak as everyone kind of puts it out to be. Because, as you said, it's really what this draft, this high school pitching class is, is that there's so much differences of opinion, but there are a number of names to look at. It's just not guys who you have the slam dunk top ten pick. Well, again, usually most of the high school pitchers who end up being good, a lot of times they're not slam dunk top ten picks. You look back at it and you say, you need, some of these guys are going to turn out. Again, I, I know I'm probably a little high on but like, Colby Allard is a guy who's going to end up being probably at best a back end of the first round guy. Well, that's largely because of an injury that probably is not going to have any long-term effects. Well, that kind of thing just adds to the further confusion of this draft. Right. But it does to me, if you said, what do I like the demographics of this? I feel like there are a number of high school arms. It's just not... As awesome as it was last year. Yeah, see, I, I'm not on the high school arms as a genre. I'm not on them. This, uh, I, I'm glad you're looking at a half full. I think me and Teddy <laughs> oh, are looking at guy. Yeah, I think me and Teddy are looking at it as half empty. Yeah, I mean, I, I think if you look at a lot of these guys, uh, you know, if you, it's it's very philosophical. It's about where you want to take the risk with the, these high school pitchers. They all have flaws, uh, and like there is no standout. There's no Tyler Kolek just jumping up and and forcing you to pay attention to him. But like if you if you look at like the top three arms in, in Georgia, for instance, Dakota Chalmers, Nick Nidert, and Tristan English, if you put the three of them together, they would be really, really good. <laughs> but if you take them up, you know, you pull them apart, and like they, you know, they they each have their their own individual thing that that isn't quite, you know, profiling it as a you know a top half of the rotation maybe. But you know, I think you can do that for for any number of of. Uh, pitchers across the country so it's just gonna be a matter of who directors and and scouts are, are comfortable with and and what kind of uh you know do you do you want control do you want velo do you want height do you want projection like we, you, you're gonna to have to pick there is no that's one there's no is. one that has everything that's it and that's because different organizations do look for different things some organizations don't mind sliders or like don't mind two seamers others don't they, they and or like we like this kind of arm action. Now we're a little bit partial to that. No doubt, each organization has their own traits, and there's very few guys in this draft who check the box for every team uh, who don't have a red flag that keeps them from uh, that keeps them, that will keep uh, X number of teams from taking them. Everybody has that, you know, and, that, and that's why that's why I don't love this class. I think it's also just very hard to sort through, and that's why in today's mock, I ran Nolan Watson as the top high school guy coming out. Because this draft class is that volatile. Because I think every mock draft is at a different high school pitch with the top of it. Because one week it was Mike Nickarag. And he was the flavor of that week. And the next week it was Donnie Everett. And then you have Donnie Everett kind of wave, kind of comes and goes. 
he still is the most consistent hard thrower out of these high school pitchers, it sounds like. Ash Russell, you know, some guys say, oh, yeah, he threw 97 that week. Others are like, well, more like 92. Yeah, he might have brushed up a five. But th these are inconsistent. All these pitchers have been inconsistent. It's the same thing in Southern California. Or if in Southern California, if they're consistent, it's consistent with an average fastball. I think you, you hit on it, J.J. Like, usually, like Teddy said, the complaints are so loud about the college bats because they're usually so underwhelming. This year, the complaints I hear are just more on these high school and college pitchers and the fact that from the high school side, who has stepped forward and declared, I'm that top guy? And that's Nobody has no, done that. That's what no, no one's done that. The funny thing with that is, is that the other muddled group, if you want to talk about demographics, when you talk about the high school bats, we have, I don't feel like we have that much more clarity on the high school outfielders, which oh, were, absolutely. that was a jumble coming into the year. And here we are, we are pretty much, we're a weekend, you know, we're less than a week and a half away from the draft, and it's still a jumble. It's still a jumble, and you have, first off, I guess you'd say Daz Cameron is a top high school outfielder for us. I know that's not a consensus, even in the office, we've had that argument, um, but I think Daz Cameron has to be the top guy, because he's the only one, when you talk to the national guys, that they're all say, I'm confident he's a center fielder. I don't even get that for Tristan Clark. And he runs. Uh, for Trenton Clark, Trenton. I'm sorry. I don't know who Tristan is. Tristan Clark. McKenzie and Trenton Clark. <laughs> and Tristan Beck. Yes. Trenton Clark and, uh, is the guy. We, I don't, there's right. not even a consensus for him. Whitley, same thing. And I, and I had guys tell me Garrett Whitley was running 3-8 times the first on a ground ball from the right side. I mean, that's 3-8 That's what I heard. Right? That's what I heard. This, is, this guy is a big and explosive that's ex that's. I don't know that's if he's a center that's, that's that's Billy Hamilton goes. I, I'm I'm impressed. I think it was on. I think it was on like a jailbreak type of swing. Okay, I, I, I mean, still the guy. I, mean, I think he's a consistent four to four one runner. And this guy's a plus run, and he's a big guy. That's why you have these George uh, Springer light comps. But George Springer's a right fielder, and Whitley's probably a corner guy, and Kyle Tucker's probably a corner guy. And for me, that's why um, you, know, you have to have. Uh, Daz, for me, is the consensus top guy, but he is a Scott Boris Corporation advisee, and he has a long track record, but the track record for the hitting is spotty. So, you know, Nick Plummer, short track record. Boy, when he hit at East Coast Showcase, he sure did hit, but he's in Michigan, and how much has people seen him this spring, and how oh, yeah. much competition And by the way, it's a 1-1 one, one count every time he steps to the plate. Right. How, how, much, how much velocity is he facing? And Clark has got tools, but he's... An orthodox swing, an orthodox grip on the bat. Everything, every one of these guys and, is a little And hickey. Clark has had some issues where he, you haven't gotten to see him healthy an awful right. lot of the time. He's been nicked up, dinged mm -hmm. up, however you want to put it. So I think that's why when when I'm looking at like what who's going to go in those first 10 picks, I keep on hearing Tucker and Cameron's name because Cameron because of the center field, Tucker because people have a lot of confidence in the bat. Yeah, I mean, the, those have kind of been the two for a little while now, I think, and... You know, there are still questions about them. I think people, um, you know, Kyle Tucker's an awful lot like his brother, and his brother has turned out way better than pretty much anyone except for the Astros, I feel like, expected. Seventh round pick, I mean. I know the, I know the Rockies did offer him some money the year before as like yeah. a 16th rounder, but still, certainly for a senior draft, Preston Tucker, not just being a big leaguer, but now kind of look like he's going to be a, a solid big leaguer, the power's playing, uh, that I think definitely helps Kyle. And Kyle is more athletic than that, and you know there is a chance he stays in center field. And you know, I mean, that that looks like a pretty good, pretty good player. But yeah, I mean, how do you how do you divide those guys up? And the outfielders, though, I mean, like we can talk about how you know they can't do this or they can't do that. They're they're good. Like mm -hmm. if you look at shortstops, if you look at shortstops outside of Brendan Rodgers, you know they're they aren't there this year. And catching kind of got saved by Tyler Stevenson having a really good spring. Oh, yeah, the high school catching. I mean, high yeah. school shortstops. And then, cause, yeah, because we, we list Cordelius Randolph as a shortstop. But no one believes he's a shortstop. shortstop. I mean, the top shortstops in high school, outside of Brendan Rodgers, who some people don't think is a shortstop, but if you say he's a shortstop, who after him is, is even a shortstop that, you know, from that high school group? I mean, the Cornelius Randolph can hit, but he's not. He's not where, where's he going to play? I mean, he's fascinating to me, just when we're talking high school hitters, because yeah, it sounds like he, I guess really, I, I think I don't remember where we had him in the best tools. I can go find the magazine and pick that up. 
I mean, wasn't he the best high school hitter we have in the draft? He is. Best he is the best high school hitter. Best hitter. And our best tools. I just keep getting that reiterated when I ask about him for the mock. People are just like, well, you know, he should be higher than this in this draft. So if he, I guess that's where I'm trying to go. If people had some conviction on Cornelius Randolph staying in the dirt, because he's athletic enough for the dirt, it just sounds like he just has really bad technique and just just doesn't know how to play the infield. If you had conviction where, you know, I'm going to stick this guy in rookie ball and we're going to hit him a 1,000 ground balls a day and we're going to beat these bad habits out of him, maybe you'd stick him in the infield, but it sounds like the bat's just too good. But, I mean, he's, I still, he's, he really is interesting to I, me. I still think that's the kind of guy in this draft, you bet on the bat. Right. Bat and athleticism, again, I like how you put it. Almost everyone in this draft, you're asking, what do I give up to get something because you're giving something up? Okay, defensive questions for a high school kid who has athleticism and hitting ability, I'll take that. Yeah, I mean, and there is some chance he stays in the infield. It, it won't be a shortstop, but there, there, he could be an infielder. Uh, but there are some people that just say, put him in left field, let him hit, let him move, because he has that ability. I, I, and that's why I, I like – he's – to me, if I, I would run him in that – I would almost consider him in that outfield, high school outfielder's phylum, and he's toward the top of that because people are very convicted in the bat. And it's again, we're talking about the the, the issues that everybody has with all these players. That's a player where you, he it does seem like people are very convicted on 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 the uh, on the hitting tool. The another demographic where people aren't don't don't have a good conviction is college pitching. And guys, I think this is what defines this draft as a bad draft, as a below average draft. I mean, like if you're sticking a grade on it, it's like a 35 draft, and it's like 20. College pitching, because college starting pitching, when you have Dylan Tate and Carson Fulmer and uh, Tyler J and almost every starting pitcher, even James Caprillion, everybody's considered a possible starter, they've all been a lot better in relief in their careers, with the exception of Fulmer, who no one outside, no one above a area cross che- an area cross checker uh, pay grade thinks he can start. No one I've talked to. But I, the week I had him as the number one guy, with a lot of area guys and a couple of cross-checkers were like, I think people are moving in this direction. He keeps doing it. He keeps doing it. And then I did, I did get a text this week from one of the guys I talked to. And he goes, well, maybe you didn't write it down. I'm pretty sure I said it. The second he has a bad start, everyone's going to jump off that bandwagon. And the bandwagon was still kind of rolling. Then he was bad in the SEC tournament. And, I'm not and saying the, the bandwagon wheels, emptied of that. I'm not saying the wheels fell off, but I am saying... He's not going one overall, and the and the uh, so that's why this week's uh, mock draft, uh, Dansby Swanson I had as number one, but I think Tyler J and Tyler Stevenson are still in that mix for the Diamondbacks. I don't think the Diamondbacks have made up their minds, but um, Fulmer's not in that mix anymore. But these college pitchers, if you want, if you went into this draft, you want a college pitcher, you just seeing them fall by the wayside. Whether you considered Brady Aiken a, a college pitcher, Michael Machuela, Nathan Kirby. And now Kyle Funkhauser, guys. I mean, whoo! I mean, he may as well. He's, he's just like a like a Bugs Bunny, like a Roadrunner and a Coyote thing. He's got like he's like a, the Coyote grabbing anvil, and he just can't stop falling. That's where Kyle Funkhauser is right now. And I I feel bad for the kid, but he picked a bad time to have a cold streak. Yeah, I mean, he's he's about you know he's he's definitely in a slump right now, and you know nobody can quite figure out what what is going on with him. He's not throwing quite as hard. He just doesn't look as sharp. And Dylan Tate's kind of going through the same thing. It's a little more explainable with him, you know, as he approaches 100 How innings for the first time. How many innings am I throwing? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I mean, it's like... Wait, we have a game again this week? <laughs> <laughs> These guys just aren't... They, they aren't coming up and taking it. And, uh, you know, typically, every year it seems like there's a, you know, there's a college arm that, you know, you can, like, maybe not throw an ace on, but, you know, say, like, okay, he's a two. Right. Like, that doesn't exist this year. It just doesn't, and guys like John Harris and James Caprillion are set to reap the rewards, and those guys are, you know, four starters, three starters tops. Like, I threw a Ian Kennedy career comp on James Caprillion a couple weeks ago. Uh, same representation, Southern California locale, field for secondary stuff, both guys who are famous in high school and pitched for big-time Friday night guys in, in the Pac-12. And I mean, obviously, Caprillion's a couple, two or three, if not four inches taller than Ian Kennedy, and does it different. 
But the consensus reply on that has always been like, yeah, he'll have that kind of career. Maybe one year he puts it all together and he's like a two slash three. More often it's like a three, really more of a four. I mean, he has feel for pitching, but that's what you I really do think that he's like the safest bet college arm in this class. He's the safe bet. And then but kind of what that concern comes from is, is the question is when he goes to pitching every fifth day. Yeah. How good's the stuff going to be? I mean, it, what kind of fastball is this guy going to pitch with? I mean, he's better than Adam Pluko, but really, how much better is he than Adam Pluko? The fastball is similar to Pluko. He's 91 95 at his best this year, but in his last start, it was 88 to 90 by the fourth or fifth inning. And again, like JJ's pointed out, you're talking about a guy who's going to be going every five days, not every seven. So you throw that in with a somewhat rigid delivery. And then the ex, the, now the difference with him and Plunko is better for secondary stuff, right. better feel for curveball and slider, and they're better pitches. Well, but I mean, he's not that different. I mean, he's better, but not. He's he really shouldn't be a front line guy. Not in today's game with all the velocity. I'll tee you up then on one of your favorites in the draft because once you talk about that, then you kind of also get to. The guy who is the true feel location guy of this draft, which is Thomas Eshelman, who also (laughs) is going to be in some way probably rewarded because of this draft class because someone's going to take him higher than you would think it would warrant because... Yeah, it's so funny that somebody on our site, a commenter, was a a long-time Fullerton fan too, was arguing with me about why uh, Eshelman should go higher. And I was like having to defend him not going higher. I'm like... Stop making me argue against Thomas Eshelman. This guy <laughs> wore a wig and a fake mustache for me. I mean, come on. Help me you out. You love Thomas Eshelman. I love this guy. I love this guy. So why would I want to bang on this guy? But, yes, he has been more 90-93 lately, and especially in the early innings. He's going to pitch with a four fastball in the big leagues in terms of velocity. He's going to pitch at, like, Jared Weaver 2012 fastball velocity. Which not, is better than Jared Weaver 2015, but it's right. not Jared Weaver drafted velocity. It doesn't have Jared Weaver's angle. You're, you're asking him to – this the degree of difficulty for Thomas Eshelman is going to be very high because he's going to pitch with a minus fastball in the big leagues. And that's just – I know he has present six command. I had a guy throw seven command on him. But it sounds like he's trending toward the back of the first, comp round, early second – Andrew Moore, who has a little bit firmer fastball, a little less command, but excellent control, four pitches, but still, like Eshelman, fringy breaking stuff. These guys are trending and, toward the first round or the, or the top of the second, and that just kind of stuns me. And the separation between those guys and the guys that we each have 15 guys to write about, yeah. which are the, right. the standard, this guy pitches Friday or Saturday night for a college team, and he doesn't have a plus pitch. There's not a whole lot of... I mean, there's success. There's right. They know how to pitch better. They it's have better f- control. But those guys all are a little frightening. It's a flat class. I mean, I just, there's just very little separation. Well, and, and so, you know, you're talking about Eshelman pitching with the 40 fastball and, and all the rest of that. Like, okay, so who is he? But who is who are any of these guys? Right. I mean, that, that's the thing. I mean, you look at the college hitters even with, uh, you know, Andrew Benintendi kind of separate himself. But who is, who is that? Who are any of these guys? And, you know, scouts are... Scouts are struggling on some of these top guys to find reasonable comps that don't make the player look like, wait, look, why, why are you taking that guy? I mean, Andrew Benintendi, watch the big league. We're just watching him run. We he just he, run just, he run had a double. He just had a very nice right. double. But physically, when he runs the bases, you know who it makes me think of? Adam Eaton. That's who he makes me think of. He's almost Adam Eaton-sized. And Adam Eaton was a senior sign, 19th rounder. Out of Miami of Ohio. Right. I like him. Good player. But which, I mean, which, like, the, which the guys from that, you know, guys from there will go, if he was in the SEC, he'd have had an eighth rounder. That's right. But I mean, but that's, that's what we're talking about. I mean, my other cheese balls in this draft are. I mean, Penn like, and my cheese ball. And so, you know, I will say, I hear you. He is, and, and I think, like. I've got I, a Darren Bragg comp on him, too. That's the other physical comp I've gotten. We've heard David DeLucci as well. And <laughs> see, I like the DeLucci one, though, actually, because DeLucci had a long career, was yeah. a semi-regular. Benintendi, at least you're saying, okay, you're trending more toward, because like Darren Bragg was a fourth outfielder. The, DeLucci's a better trend. So I, I actually, those, those are, the, those comps are making The thing I like better. about Benintendi is, is that, unlike most of these other college bats that we're talking about, 
you're talking about it's a short track record because he's been arguably the best hitter in college baseball this year in the SEC. That's a, a yeah. pretty good combo. But he's a sophomore, and last year was nice, but he wore out, and he didn't go anywhere for summer. But the thing that to me that does make him a little different than most of the time we're talking about a guy like this is that he's a center fielder, That's and I think point. he's going to stay there. And so he is... He is athletic. I do think he's going to stay up the middle, especially I, I'm not just with a team like the Cardinals, where the Cardinals are like, John Jay? John Jay is the center fielder. Right. I think he could stay with center field for maybe not the Royals, but for a lot of teams. Yeah. And because of that, I think that he ends up being kind of one of the more interesting guys in this group from the standpoint of there's less. You're, you're right. With every guy in this draft, there's always the but. There's not that guy that there's not a but. The but with him though is is physically it's weird to see you know guys like that go like that. I'll take that a little less because there are some physical tools there. I I, I think I agree with your point 100. percent I mean like even and he runs too. That's another. That's, he's a, at least a six runner. So at that point again it kind of gives him some floor. He's gonna play center field. He's gonna run. And in this draft that makes sense. The other like college outfielders though are guys like Ian Happ and DJ Stewart and Ian Happ. 49 strikeouts this year and 198 at-bats. I mean, I know he had 49 walks, too. But Ian, Ian Happ's going to punch a bunch. And, and he might and be where's he going to play? Right. I mean, like, maybe he's a second baseman. But he's got a good one. If that guy's a right fielder, you know, does he – or a left fielder, does he have the power to profile there? And, like, he hit some home runs this year. I mean, he, he got in double digits this year. Yeah, he's still like 672. I'm, I'm looking at the numbers. I'm not – But <laughs> there is – this concern now about the you know the ball changed in the NCAA this year, and yep. scouts don't know what to do with that yet because they haven't seen anybody play with the you know new college ball and then go play That's with right. the with the pro ball. So the, the you know, analytics are a little shaky this year. I think teams were comfortable with the analytics last year. We had four years of data with the BB core bats. Teams think that, I think that the pro clubs really thought they had a pretty good read on what stats meant. And I think there's just a little less certainty now. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, and so in this maybe slightly better offensive environment, you know, what, what does that mean for you and Hap? You know, I have no idea. I don't, what does I don't know for, that anybody knows. What does it mean for DJ Stewart? DJ Stewart. Or Donnie Deweese. There's a slugging percentage went up. I hear I heard from one guy that slugging percentage for college baseball was up 40% this year across college. That seems way that high. Seems like, but it is dramatically but up. up. I'll put it this way. I, I mean, I've been staring at a lot of stats. Obviously, you guys have too. And what stands out as a what seems like a great year this year because of what we've been conditioned the last four years, and then you go, wait a second, he's one of three guys on his team to post a 500 right. slugging percentage. So DJ Stewart, he slugged 557 last year. He only slugged 585 this year. I mean, he granted he's walked 66 times. I mean that is, and his lineup around him, Quincy Nyport or Nyport oh, behind him, oh, is oh, not oh, a pro oh, guy. Oh, he, oh, he says, "Please, can I have that lineup?" No doubt, no doubt. But the pitchers in the, the pitchers in the in American Conference can't aren't as good at pitching around. I don't think I shouldn't slam the American Conference. But Vince isn't here. You can. That's right. I think DJ Stewart's going to go good. But he had a bad year this year from from what I expected. And uh, that's and he is a guy who he's so different. And and he is a guy who, again, scouts are like. I mean, that's a left fielder. Absolutely. And hey, he had a play in the ACC tournament. Because I'm an idiot, I saw a lot more ACC tournament (laughs) games than I should have. Glutton for punishment. I saw a lot of ACC tournament games, and there was a game where there was a lot of heat. There were a lot of scouts in for this game, and one of the reasons they were there was DJ Stewart. And it was him against Louisville, and sacrifice fly ball to left, runner at third, medium depth left field. This is, this, this whole game with the short left field. The short left say. field. You were there. There's a there's a. I mean, he camped under. He got his momentum coming and threw, and the ball just doesn't come out. I mean, it's a forearm, and it's 45 ish speed at best. And he's gonna slow down. And he crouches like crazy. And his body is not exactly a body that says, hey, yeah. you know. I, I like DJ Stewart. I mean, I, he's an engaging. He's got a great feel for the, for the strike zone. He absolutely has a great feel for the strike zone. I like that level swing plane. His bat is in the hitting zone a long time. But what is he? 
I don't know. Hey, how about this? I'm sorry. Michigan wears Clemson cut pants. <laughs> Eric Backich went to East Carolina, but he was assistant coach at Clemson. He's in the Vanderbilt tree, and they wear Clemson cut pants, and that drives me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sorry. I can't believe Michigan wears Clemson cut pants. Can you pants. tell we're listening, watching the Bases Loaded <laughs> channel while we do this, which is awesome. But it yeah, is I mean, awesome. It is. It is. I'm sitting there like, oh, look what's happening now. But so that, so that, so that, those, those college bats, that, that's, that's, a tough, that's a tough group to discern. Again, I just don't. And again, so that goes back to the 2002, the 2000 draft, where just it's kind of ugly. And I'll tell you, the, uh, the injury guys uh, just have to drive. This was the worst year to get hurt, man. If you were Nathan wow. Kirby, I'm sorry to interrupt, but that's just when you see a triple play, a, uh, a strike them out, throw them out, throw them out triple play. You have to stop for a second and make that, sure everyone else can see that. That deserves a while. <laughs> that was it. That was Indiana. Yeah. Turning it on Radford. Yeah. Indiana plays some, uh, they play with energy. I like watching. Indiana. Sorry, I apologize. Okay. But that was, that, I was, that was, un, that was, I that was involuntary. This is, this is the live and uncut version of the Baseball America podcast. I like it. Um, I don't even, I don't even remember what Demi- hey, Demi- injured, 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 injured pitchers. But like, seriously, like, if just Nathan Kirby, even with his four and a half walks per nine rate, I mean, that dude's probably still a top ten pick. I'm about to say, Teddy, wouldn't you wouldn't you take Nathan Kirby over a lot of these other guys if he'd stayed healthy? I love Nathan Kirby coming into this year. I, yeah. See, I I think that if you asked me where the demographic that I it sounds crazy that I would want to be in if I had to pick in this draft, I kind of want to have extra picks where I can take the injured guys. I mean, frankly, I still want to take Brady Aiken really really high. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I yeah. mean, I haven't seen the medicals. I'm not a doctor, but like. <laughs> But he that was one one last year. Is so good when he's healthy. Paging Dr. Cahill. <laughs> but no, seriously. I mean, like, him, Machuela, Kirby, uh, even Nix to a lesser extent has the back stuff in the back of his career. I mean, and that doesn't count. Then we got the guys who we're really struggling. Mac, Where Mac did, Marshall. But then we got the guys who we're really struggling, like, as we finish up the 500. Where do you slot in Jake the Jake LeMoynes and the A.J. Minters and the guys who... Yeah. John Duplantier from Rice. It's like, okay. Great examples. Where do you put these guys who... All these guys who could have been first-round picks coming into the year could have been or could have, could have taken advantage of this vacuum at the top of the draft. And it's very difficult to figure out who's going to take advantage of that vacuum. And uh, some of the players who seem poised to do that, who are some of the... I wouldn't say jump up, but some of the guys who... Who are the players in your area who've stepped up? It feels like Donnie Everett's one... But well, I mean, I mean the obvious the obvious one is uh, Tyler Stevenson. Stevenson, Stevenson is. Uh, who you know, I mean, he he he, Tyler J and Andrew Benatendi have had as much helium as anyone all spring. Uh, but yet, yeah, Donnie Everett's moved up. Um, you know, I, McKenzie seems like he's got late helium. Uh, Tristan McKenzie, yeah. Uh, Jake Woodford got helped uh, by playing with Kyle Tucker. That's a good um, one. You know, I think coming into the spring, I mean, people knew who he was, but I think uh, people are higher on him now than they were. Uh, you know, six months ago. But I like, think of the, like the Kyle Cody's and the Josh Stalmonts and the college pitching just come back to them like, <gasps> oh my gosh! I mean, like if any of those guys ever threw strikes, you know, ever, they'd be first round picks. And I mean, I suppose they still could be. But I, I like your injured. Uh, this is a good year to be hurt, JJ. It's a good year for those guys to be hurt because no one else has stepped forward to take their place. So I and mean, there's and there's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of money. At- you have to spend your money somewhere. Right. In a draft like this, you don't want to put it into one or two buckets. You want to put it in a lot of buckets because you, have to. you spread your risk by spending it in a lot of places. We don't know who the Diamondbacks. We have a very good idea of who the trio that is probably going to end up being yeah. down to. I think we all feel very confident saying, though, whoever it is, they're going to have money saved from that. To turn around and spend elsewhere. Yeah, they're not breaking. I mean, yeah, slot, is eight, slot is more than $8 million and There uh, is not an $8 million player. They're not. I mean, there haven't been that many $8 million players in the draft, period. But I'll put it this way. Scott Boris is not making an argument that there's a unique player in this. That, you know, this is not Bryce Harper is in this draft where you say, okay, yeah, that's probably going to take that and maybe some more. Yeah. There's that, nothing like that. that there, there isn't anything like that. Um, uh, Good Baseball America podcast here with John. JJ and Teddy. Um, like I said, my area, I would say the guy who stepped forward the most is from, you've already mentioned him in this draft, and it's a podcast, Austin Rye at Washington. And apparently, last at bat last weekend, home run uh, for, for Austin Rye, his last, what should be his last college at bat. 
you know, as a college catcher who's hit in the Northwoods League but never played in the Cape or the summer college national team. He was dropped out of high school. He basically has 90 Summit bats this year. Struck out in 25 of them. So the bat has some holes, but he does have power. I mean, catch and throw is legit. I've gotten sixes on both the the, the receiving and the throwing. The, he's, he feels like a guy who the track record, when we talk about the hickey, the track record's a hickey for him. That's... Yeah, he's, he's, he's actually probably closer to Benintendi than I even realize. When I really talk about it out loud, I mean, he's up the middle player with a pretty high floor as a backup catcher. Um you know, we have him, what, 68? Yeah. We have him 68. He might be moving him up by the I'm time light. we do this again. On I'm, I'm light on him, I think. I think he's going to go better than 68. Another guy, uh, the other fascinating pair for me, guys, you guys have heard me with this spiel all year, but you're going to hear one more time, is Kevin Newman versus Scott Kingery. I just Are keep... you saying this will be the last time? No, it will not. <laughs> no. I've already had this conversation <laughs> with John today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um... But it's good for the podcast. Yeah, no, no, I'm not saying. Go ahead. Please do. Podcast posterity. They are they are to 2015 as Christian Cologne and Gary Brown were to 2009. The problem with that analogy is both Gary Brown and Christian Cologne kind of underwhelmed. So I hope that these guys are better. But in this analogy, Kevin Newman is the Christian Cologne and Scott Kingery is the Gary Brown. Scott Newman and Scott Kingery is the guy with more tools that the area guys like. The national guys have more history with Newman, who like Cologne, shortstop. It sounds like Newman has a little bit more chance to stay at shortstop than Cologne ever did. It sounds like he's a you know a fifty defender at shortstop. Uh, guys who like him say it's a fifty-five arm, um, certainly playable at shortstop. It's got solid range. Nothing. Fl- he's definitely not flashy. But of the of the there's group, not many of the shortstops who in this group who qualify Holder to have is. that. Kyle Holder is, and uh, and then Swanson can play shortstop, and everyone else. I hear a lot of doubts. Some guys do believe in Bregman, some don't. Some guys believe in Richie Martin, some don't. But I think more of them believe in Richie Martin. But, you know, Teddy, I'm surprised when I ask national guys, they seem to prefer Newman's defense over Martin, which surprises me. I think, I feel like uh, Kevin, uh, like uh, Martin is a little bit more, Richie Martin's a little more athletic, a little quicker twitch, maybe not quite the arm straight, it's more like a five arm versus like 55. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, I, you get, uh, you know, when you talk about, especially with the SEC shortstops, you know, they, they talk about Newman being, or, uh, yeah, they talk about Richie Martin being the most athletic of those guys. I think Newman's maybe a little smoother. Um, you know, I, I think Richie's probably a shortstop, and I think a lot of guys think that too. Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah, Newman, Newman, I think, is just a little, a little steadier over there, maybe. Um, I, think that's, I think that's a fair concern. And then, but, you know, all the credit that Newman gets for his cape. Batting title, Martin was second, right? He wasn't far off. He was right yeah, up no, there. He was second. He was right. He was right there with Newman, and but but Kingery runs better. Well, the than funny Newman. thing is, is, and neither of them though, neither of them have really had a breakout offensive year this year as juniors. No, New- both Newman's of had them. A bad year. Yeah, both of them have been somewhat disappointing. Um, Newman has uh, numbers are worse than Martin's. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but Richie Martin's numbers are not. You know they aren't. They're not loud this year. No, it's a it's a seven seven fifty seven OPS in uh, SEC play in SEC games, which is a hundred points higher basically Newman. than Newman. Newman six seventy five in Pac twelve, and you know Newman just the, the book got out on him in the in the Pac twelve. Bust him inside with velocity, and teams did it over and over and over again. And he he doesn't try to drive the ball, and he does not. He hasn't adjusted. Yeah. So to me. Those are real issues. Whereas Scott Kingery, you can't pitch him. This guy was Pac-12. This guy was Pac-12 Player of the Year. He's aggressive to a fault, just like Gary Brown was. And Gary Brown, <laughs> Gary Brown was, that was a, almost an audible gasp. I knew. Okay, Gary Brown, like, was number eighty-three in our top two hundred out of high school, um, as a second baseman who they tried and tried at second base at Fullerton. It couldn't work. They put him in the outfield, and that's what it all went nuts his junior year because he didn't have to worry about the infield anymore. Kingery might be that guy in pro ball. He's a second baseman now. He's played the outfield previously. His hands are a little hard, but he has more arm strength than Newman. Um, I think the thing is that in the area, in the four corners, it feels like the gut feel is that Newman's, that, that Kingery's the tougher of the two. He's got a little more grit to him. And that that would, um, you know, I don't remember that, how the comp was on, on Brown and, and Cologne, but in this case... That, Cologne, that, Cologne was the gritty dude. Cologne yeah. was the dude who, 
Every, I had to write them every year when I wrote about Pozzoli. There's a lot of fours and fives on this card, but the hope is is that Cologne's feel for the game, yeah. his desire, and all that will allow him to play, a, you know, one grade higher. I, I like Kingery. I like Newman too, but um, I definitely don't think Newman's a single digit pick in this draft. I never hear his name connected in the single digits. Where do you think? Um, I mean, what what do you think's Kingery's? Seattle. I think those guys are going to be right both in that 25 to 40 range for the teams that don't feel compelled to take a high school pitcher there. If they've already taken a pitcher with their first pick, but that's that's comp round range. So to me, it's like really more like 25, like where the Orioles pick. And I guess the Cardinals are at 23. And in previous iterations, I had them taking Newman. I just don't think a team that's got an analytics guy as their scouting department, scouting director, and Chris Correa. And an organization that's so known for taking college performers is going to take a guy with a 675 option, their first pick. I just don't see it. So, uh, you know, Kevin Newman's going to go. I think it's going to be that 25 to 40 range. And I think Kingery's right in there. And I just think it's really a matter of preference. So those guys fascinate me in my area. In my Nolan Watson is the guy where lately I think you have to say. And I I don't feel like – the funny thing is, is I don't think it's necessarily that Nolan Watson – he is light years better now than he was. It's kind of just it's he's pitched well at a time where a lot of people have been in there and there's a lot to like. It's just so hard to separate out this high school group. It really is. <laughs> it's really when you come to the high school side, I think the other guy, if you said who's not a first round pick or anything like that, but I think Colton Kendrick, who I wrote about earlier, who came from, I would say, kind of off the board in a lot of cases. Obscurity. It's a dangerous demographic. It's an absolutely dangerous demographic. The high school slugger whose value is tied completely into his power. He's the first baseman. And if you like him, the guys who like him think he's going to hit with power. If you don't like him, he's Cody Johnson with as a first baseman. I mean, that really sums it up to me. Cody Johnson was like our 2006 Youth Player of the Year, I think, or 2005. I mean, he was a... He was a big deal ten years ago. This guy it was, was a first, and he was a first round pick. It was eight. It was a, a total eighty power on Cody Johnson. And that's Colton Kendrick, and that video is obscene. That, we that, no, that, we have seen several batting practice videos, and it's just you know, it's it's absurd power. And you you can watch them on YouTube, and just yeah. like just yeah. just pull those up, and you know it, it's on the Power Showcase yeah. uh, website. Yeah. Yeah. That video of him hitting home runs there, the ball just. Travels, yeah, know? and in a big league park. I mean, he is using metal. Uh, but there, there are other power guys though in this draft. Like Josh, Josh Miller is right there on Josh the two hundred with him. Lucas Baker is. A, I mean, has got absolutely legit power. Those are the three guys that we had in best tools for high school best power. And Josh Naylor is on this little. Uh, he's on this little kick. Actually, he is yeah. on this little kick with in the, the Dominican Canadian national team with the Canadian junior national team, and it's very similar to Brett Lowry. Now, clearly, he doesn't have the same body as Brett Lowry or a position versatility as Brett Lowry had at that time. We Brett Lowry at this time, we were the question was, is he going to a catcher? Right. Is he going to be a second baseman? Right. Is he going to be a third baseman? And he decided, no, I'm not going to play the middle. I'm, <laughs> I'm going, going to be, be a third But what's his name? But but Josh Naylor, certainly different body, but he's facing quality arms. And this is something where you're evaluating Josh Naylor or Demi Arimile, uh for Team Canada. and uh, It's an easy evaluation. Easy evaluation but especially Josh Naylor. Team C. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but you're seeing those guys, then you're measuring those guys against Nick Plummer. Nick Plummer's one and one. He's facing dudes throwing seventy some, and these guys are in the Dominican facing guys for uh, the pros who bring it. So I mean, erratically, but they bring it. So <laughs> this is uh, I, I like. It's a strong year in Canada, and there are also Canadians like Jeff Degano in the U.S. who are interesting prospects. Uh, even discovered one last night in my five hundred write-ups uh, at the University of San Francisco. Brandon Hendricks, you know, got a little snap, and his, of course he's a left-handed hitter because he's Canadian. Yeah. From Alberta. Again, as we get to, we're getting we're not that we're getting closer to Real Baseball Classic, <laughs> where it's like you better if you're facing Canada in your pool, you better have lefty relievers because they're not going to have any right-handed bats in the lineup. So it's a it's a it, I, I'm intrigued. I think that again, some of these guys who are going to go in the first round could have good careers, but the second, the third, the fourth, you might get a, as good a player oh. at a hundred. As you get at 15. That, the one other thing I wanted to bring up with that, though, is, is that the demographic I like from this draft. Okay. Good the way to senior end. signs. That's right. That's a good place to end. I feel like that this is a good year for guys who are going to get drafted in the 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th round. They're going to save money. But this year, 
I will put it this way. You can draft guys who actually will go out. And, and you won't have to release within a year. Right. You, they, will, they will have more than 10 at-bats. They will have more than an inning pitch before you go, yeah, we can't put this guy out there. It just, it just ruins everything. There are guys out there. I, I'll, I'll throw a cheese ball from my area. Michael Freeman, to me, yeah. is a guy, Oklahoma State, the one point. I'm, I'm fascinated to watch him pitch this weekend in the regionals. The uh, 1.05 ERA. Hey, Kevin Biggio just uh, just left the ball just park. left the ballpark. The ball is on the other side of the street. That's awesome. That uh, was awesome. That's next year. Yeah, it was in 2016. We're we're looking forward to 2016. It's a great. It's a good looking draft. And that was Oppo. And I'm gonna tell you what. Kevin Biggio has some pre-draft wa- bat waggle. It oh, just yeah. seems so That's excessive insane. and unnecessary. I don't understand why his father. That's oh, it I'm hit saying. the top of the it hit the top of the wall, and, uh, and man, it, it must it has some serious roll to it. But to, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves. I want to go back to your senior point. Yeah. The 2016 is going to be a good, better draft. We will not be having these agonized conversations with scouts next year as we cover next year's draft because the high schools, any of the sophomore classes in college, it's a better draft shaping up for 2016 than 2015. So. But that being said, but like, but I, I do think that you look at you look at Freeman and you say. This guy is when we talk again about what is what are guys like this? Right. What are guys like the lefty six foot eight, not sidearm, but very low three quarters guy who throws the fastball predominantly and cuts it in, you know, runs it, cuts it, and no one can hit it with a one ERA as a starter all year. Right. That's yeah. an unusual demographic. But I do think we've you know, John and I have had discussions where I think he's he goes out as a senior sign. Oh, yeah. Team puts him in the pen, and you could very well turn around. You could turn around middle of next year and say, "Wow, that guy's already in the big leagues." Yeah, no doubt. I mean, uh, I'm wondering if someone will give him a shot to start because the breaking ball isn't what you usually want in a lefty relief guy. But um, but the fastball was just such an a good 86 to, to 88 to 89 mile an hour fastball. By the way, yeah. not like exactly bringing it. Right. Oh, absolutely. Um, I like a lot of these other seniors as well. Like I like Garrett Stubbs, the light year for catchers. If you're going to take Garrett Stubbs in the fourth round on the USC, and most of these catchers in pro ball anyway play every other day, you know they basically go out of the low, especially in full season minors. Guys, you know they share the 140 game load. One guy catches 80, and one guy catches 60. You tell me this guy can't go out and catch 80 games a year? I think he can. Savvy, energy. Uh, the word that scouts and especially Pac-12 coaches like to use about him is he's a pest, and he runs. He leads a team. Uh, he does those intangible things. Uh, Kate Savick at LSU, another like durable body, so, shows you some offensive ability catcher. He's handled a freshman pitching staff. I, mean, I know obviously the coach calls a lot of pitches and all that. Dan- Daniel Salters? Daniel Salters is a redshirt junior, actually, at Dallas oh, Baptist. Yeah. And he's older, but there's upside with Daniel Salters. I wish there was a little bit more now with Daniel Salters. Like, that's another guy who, coming in, I would have, I would have bet you money that by the end of the year he would have been the number one catcher in this year's class. And I'm stunned that he didn't take that step forward. He had a lot of home runs last year in the Northwoods League. I'm just, I, I'm disappointed that he didn't take a step forward because his whole team did. But you're trying to tell me that Daniel Salters, as a redshirt junior catcher, didn't have something to do with Dallas Baptist success? And, and Teddy, how many relievers do they have that throw 95? Like five. It feels I, like. Yeah, JJ. Every every other day, he's coming to me with a, yeah. a new TVU reliever. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so there are Chance some, Adams. So there are some there are some seniors in this area in, the, in this draft. I like Rocky McCord. I liked him out of high school, kid at Auburn. He's uh, had a really interesting season after a tough junior year. He's really bounced back real well for a team that's really been surprising here at the end of the year and yeah. playing a regional game right now. Yeah, and nice job by uh, Tom Holiday there, who you know pro guys have dealt with for years and years in his days at Oklahoma State. Kind of got him uh, straightened out. We have Ben Moss at North Carolina. We saw he's flashed it all year, flashed it for four years. So Logan Ratledge at NC State. So they're – there are interesting college seniors. I agree, JJ. If you, I know a lot of these guys who you're going to find who are solid seniors. And again, you're not setting the bar so high. Like these are all big leaguers. You have a lot of good org players, and a couple of these guys are going to wind up being that Morgan Ensberg or that Chad Qualls or that Jason Lane. Those guys who are seniors, draft picks who have careers of some length. I mean, they, they they happen. So. I just blanked on the uh, Indians got traded to the A's this offseason. Um, Joey Wendell. Joey Wendell. I mean, Joey Wendell's a senior from that first 2012. The the first class of why are all these guys going, oh, wait, now we figured yeah. it out. Well, we started talking about Preston Tucker. I mean, yeah. He's another senior who you know was a guy, but uh, it took him a while to really 
figure it out in college. Uh, if it didn't have a good junior year, and, well, and now nice the thing is, the thing that if you are a senior career. that allows you to do a lot of times is what we're seeing a lot of times now is especially with the balls this year that have helped this is hashtag is that, inevitable is that you get you have some additional physicality yeah. And now that in college gets rewarded in a way that it wasn't being rewarded the last four years. So it does give you a little more chance to show what you can do. Because in the past, let's be honest, there were teams that I don't care if you did have some added physicality as a senior. They'd seen you for three years. And so in a game where like uh, you really sting it and you get a single, there was often a, no, 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 hit, you know, hit, move the guy over so right. we can try to get him in. There are so few opportunities where – Teams allowed their hitters. Yeah, to teams hit. are de- coaches have definitely opened their their playbooks up, or you know, let the let their hitters swing away a little more than uh, than they had been in the past couple of years. Which is one thing. There are many things that scouts are complaining about this draft. Scouts are excited that they actually get to see guys hit again. I think we all should be excited because that was something that has been a running complaint for the last several years. Yeah, no, it's absolutely just, and it still is a there. As a very broad brush, American hitters, American amateur hitters, uh, need to adjust their approach. And the way hitting is taught, and I hear this all the time. I hear people, I talk to scouts about it with my 10-year-old. Every scout I've talked to has gotten worn out. I'm talking about my 10-year-old. Not because I think he's any good, just because I want to help him, you know. Mm-hmm. And every single one says, don't do this spread out BS that everybody's doing now. Don't do that. The way hitting is taught is scouts aren't down with. 10-year-old, 11 young kids, take a swing. Learn to take a hack. And these college kids, same thing. Swing. Swing with some authority. And it's just uh, it's disappointing when you see so many players focused on contact, not on driving the ball. It, obviously, there's a happy medium, but the pro guys want to see you drive the ball as an amateur. And then they'll work on helping you make contact when you're in pro ball, and you're going to see better pitching and all that kind of stuff. But, Drive the ball, and finally, thanks to the ball carrying a little bit more, we are seeing a little more aggressive approach around the country. It still has a ways to go, though, as the scouts I've oh, talked right. to. The so. ball is flying at Notre dame Wright State. Yeah, people are hitting me up on Twitter like, didn't you just talk about Notre Dame as a pitching and defense team this week again? And it's like, yes, I did, and now they're <laughs> hitting home runs. So that's the uh, live feedback world we live in, uh, and we're, we're uh, appreciated all everyone's uh, interest in our draft coverage. We're rounding it into form. We've got one more week, light at the end of the tunnel. BA 500 to come next week. Another mock draft to come before the draft actually happens. I'm not sure if I'll do one next Friday or not. I might have to relax and <laughs> just do one the next Monday. But uh, it's been fun doing the mock draft. You're going to end up doing one Friday. I know. Just, cause I know. You will. It is what we do around here. and uh, We love covering the draft. and uh, great, great having uh, these guys uh, first time on our draft coverage uh, here at BA. and. Uh, it's been a lot of fun working with you guys on it. Looking forward to wrapping it up and finishing it. So finishing it strong like we did this podcast. So for JJ and for Teddy, I'm John. Uh, it's at Ted Cahill, right? At JJ Coop 36. I'm at John Manuel BA. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.